Well, good morning to you all today. In, in Russia, it's considered bad luck to wish someone Happy New Year before it's actually New Year, but I don't believe in luck, so Happy New Year. We are going to be in uh, 1 John today and covering all of chapter 1, Lord willing. We have been in the Gospel of John throughout this Advent season. And, of course, the Gospel of John and uh, the Epistles of John are written by the same person. And so uh, you can see themes that are consistent between those books and even into Revelation, actually. And so I thought it would be fitting for us today to look at First uh, John chapter 1. So uh, if you have your Bible open, I'm going to read to us all of chapter 1. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible or you don't have a Bible with you, you can, you can use the one that, uh, that is in the pew in front of you. Um, perhaps if you're sitting uh, some places, it'll be underneath your seat if you're kind of in a front row or something like that. If you don't have a Bible, take that one. That one's yours. Uh, and if you didn't bring one today, go ahead and use that. We're in First John chapter 1. I'm going to read the whole chapter to us. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Let's pray. Father, we take this opportunity this morning to come before you in prayer as a congregation seeking your face calming our hearts having taken time out of our busy week and before we begin to contemplate what comes this coming week Father we want to be thinking about what you have to say to us even now from your word. Father, I pray that you would help us to have our ears open to you, that we would look for what you have for us in your word, 
Pray that your spirit would be at work. That we would be sensitive. That you would be honored even in this time. And that we would be built up. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So you see that uh, you actually don't have an outline in your bulletin, which is an unusual thing. But it being kind of an odd holiday week, I thought it uh, best not to... um, uh, because I wasn't going to have time to prepare a good outline that would, you know, with the appropriate blanks, because you guys like blanks to fill in and stuff like that. So I didn't know where to put the blanks, and I thought I'd just dodge that whole thing, and the whole page is blank. So there you go. You, you have even more blanks to fill in, right? And uh, uh, But we've, we've been going through in the, in the Advent season, as I was talking about all of December, we've been talking about from the Gospel of, of John, we've been talking about Jesus as the light, that he was the light that was coming into the world, that he was shining in darkness, that he, he, was, uh, uh, he, he came as light, the light of the world. And uh, so the gospel talks about Jesus as light several times, and we looked at, at numerous of those, uh, those passages. And that idea of God being light, of Jesus being actually the light that came into the world, not a distant concept of God being a light out there somewhere, but actually took on flesh and dwelt among us and, and, and uh, was shining in this world as the light of the world. That's a, that's a key part of, of the gospel. That's a key part of really what is the Advent story in the gospel of John. And so that's kind of why we chose John this year in that regard. It wasn't about a, a baby in a manger as much as it was about the greater truth of what was going on in that as the Son of God became man, became one of us. And so talking about Jesus as light raises the natural idea, the natural question in our minds of, okay, so what do we do with him as the light? Well, we, we walk in light. And, uh, and so our passage today is talking about Jesus as the light and particularly a, a statement made in here that God is light. And the message of first John is that therefore we should walk in that light. And so what we want to talk about today is how do you do that? How do you walk in light? That's easy to say, but how do you walk in the light? And so we want to go through first John and, and pull out various relationships that John addresses in this chapter in a discussion of what it means to walk in the light. And the first relationship is that between eternal life and fellowship. Maybe we haven't thought of it in those terms, but that's, that's the first topic we want to address is what's the relationship between eternal life and fellowship. And the second one is what's the relationship between walking in the light and having fellowship with God? And he's going to address that in this passage as well. And then thirdly, what's the relationship between walking in the light and our sin? And so that's how he's going to conclude this chapter. And so... We start at the beginning as we should. What's the relationship between eternal life and fellowship? In the first about four verses of our passage here, that's kind of what he's talking about. You see, he, he describes in here a situation the apostles were in, that they, they had this unique relationship, this unique fellowship with the light who came into the world, with the word of life, with Jesus himself, the son of God. They had this relationship. And so here's how John starts his epistle. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. 
The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. So he's reporting as an eyewitness. Have you thought about the unique opportunities that the apostles had? Those disciples who spent time with Jesus, that they knew his voice. They knew what his voice sounded like. They could, they could remember what he looked like. They could remember, not envision, but remember him walking on water. Or making miraculous loaves appear. Healing the blind and the sick. They could remember that. They didn't envision it. They didn't picture it. They could remember it. And so what a, what a position of authority for them. That they were the ones who had seen. They had heard directly from him. They, he had taught them. They had handled him. And now they were the ones who are bearing eyewitness testimony into the world. Have you thought about the fact that for them, the believing the resurrection wasn't an issue of faith? They saw it. They knew it. They remembered it. They were in a unique position. And so John starts off by saying, this relationship, this fellowship that we had with the word of life, we proclaim to you. That we, we are unique authorities on this topic because we walked with him. We touched him. He washed our feet. And so we want to tell you about it. And so secondly, this life that they experienced, they then proclaim to others so that others will share in that fellowship. In verse 3, he gives the reason. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. They want to talk about it. John wants to talk about it. It's his life's motivation is to bring other people into that fellowship with Christ. He was taken with it. He, his life had been forever changed by his time he spent with Jesus. And so he wants to tell other people. And this is, this is a pretty normal thing for someone who's had their life changed to that extent. If you think about the woman at the well, she's there in Sychar and she's had this encounter with Jesus. She's sat and talked with him. And here he is, a Jewish man, and she's a Samaritan woman. They shouldn't even be having a conversation, and they do. And so Jesus addresses her directly, addresses her sin, talks about salvation, talks about her need. And what does she do? She heads into town to tell everybody. This man told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Her life had been changed, and the first thing she wanted to do was go and talk to other people. And the same is true for John and for the apostles. They would spend the rest of their lives pouring themselves out so that they could tell people about Christ, so they could invite other people into this fellowship that they had with Jesus, that other people could enter into that as well. And the reason that is news is because man is not as he ought to be. Man was created to rightly relate to the Father. And yet our sin has gotten in the way. 
Our sin has broken that relationship. And so we don't rightly relate to the Father. Man has a sin problem. And so since he's not functioning as he ought to, since he's not playing the role that he should be, he's not, he's not in that situation he was created to be in, he's got a problem. Augustine put it this way. He prayed, You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. That we're not at ease. We're not as we ought to be when we are apart from God. Sin had separated us from God. The very thing that we were supposed to be doing, rightly relating to God, has been denied to us because of our our own sin. And so, how is fellowship to be restored between us and the Father? That's exactly the message that John comes to tell. That's exactly what he wants to talk about, is Jesus himself who makes that fellowship with God possible. That Jesus himself is the one who reconciles us to God. He brings us together so that we can have fellowship with God. We can be in unity with one another, not at enmity, not at odds with one another, not separate, not divided, but that we can have fellowship with God, peace with him. And so... John talks about that he he wants to tell this story. He wants to talk about the gospel. He wants to preach Christ so that other people can move into a relationship of fellowship with God. But he mentions a second type of fellowship there, doesn't he? That you may have fellowship with us. That you may have fellowship with us. It's a, a horizontal fellowship that Christians are to have with each other. And this is part of the motivation that John has in preaching the gospel. It's not only, it's not solely, it's not excluded from the fellowship that he seeks for people to have with God, but it includes and it's connected with this fellowship that Christians have with one another. There's something unique about Christian fellowship and to be a part of the body of Christ. If you think about how Paul describes the body of Christ, he talks about parts and members working together and how we're, they're unified and which is, which is less important, your index finger or your pinky finger, right? You can't really even ask that question because we're unified. We're part of one body. And so part of what John's motivation is, is to bring other people into that body of Christ. I pray often. And thank God that we have not been saved alone, but that we've been saved, brought into a a body. He's given us one another to minister to each other, to take care of each other. This is part of what it means to be rightly related to God, is to be rightly related to his people. And the reason, one of the reasons behind that is that John knows that more fellowship means more joy. Look at what he says in verse 4. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. There's something about being in the body of Christ. There's something about having this salvation from God that causes us to want to rejoice together with others who have that salvation. It causes us to want to fellowship with one another, to love one another. It actually increases our joy. I would ask you, I'm not a sports fan at all, but is it more fun to watch a football game by yourself 
on your phone or on your TV at home or to be at the game. What's more fun to be at the game? You're with other fans who are crazy and they're cheering, they're throwing stuff and it's more fun, right? You, you enter into that experience so much more than if you're by yourself. It's the same game. And you see people at football games watching the game on their phone because you can see it better. <laughs> but the experience of being there with other people makes it greater. And that's part of, part of John's motivation here in sharing the gospel and preaching the way he does is that he wants to see that crowd grow. It increases our experience. And certainly for the person we share with who enters into the body of Christ, how much has their joy grown? But even for us who are already on the inside, our joy grows and increases when someone is added, when someone is with us to worship together. It increases our experience. Our joy increases the more fellowship increases. I said there's something unique about Christian fellowship. Christians love one another. Christians pray for one another. We support and encourage each other. We bear with one another. We bear one another's burdens. We serve each other. We point one another to Christ. We love each other when the world hates us. Christian fellowship is unique. And it's glorious. And it's part of what God has called us to. It's part of what God has saved us to. So, what's our point of application from our first four verses here? One way to walk in the light is to keep yourself in fellowship with God and with God's people. That's a very practical application. Keep yourself in fellowship with God and with God's people. And it, as we look at both of those different instances, we see that they're not the same. Fellowship with God is not the same as fellowship with one another. You see, God is holy and we're fallen. We're sinful. And God is infinite and we are finite. We're tiny. And so it's not the same when we talk about having fellowship with God as it is fellowship with one another. How, how do we have fellowship with God? Well, First of all, we wouldn't be able to if God didn't give us the opportunity. If he didn't provide it for us. The, the, the word we use in theology is he condescended. He came down to us. To fellowship with us. He sent his son. To redeem us, that we might be restored, that we might be redeemed, that we might be brought into right relationship with him so that we can fellowship. But how do we do that on an ongoing basis? Well, we fellowship with God in prayer. We go to God and we get to talk to Him. That's not a natural right that we have by virtue of being human. That we should have access to the very throne room of God. That we should have God's ear just because we're human. No, we have God's ear because of Christ. And so we get to fellowship with God in prayer. We fellowship with God in the reading of His Word and meditating on, on His Word. That's another huge way that we fellowship with God. He has spoken to us definitively, finally, flawlessly. And so we fellowship with God around his word. And we get to praise and worship him. We get to respond in adoration to God for what he has done and thanksgiving to God for what he has done and worship for who he is. That's fellowship with him. We get to serve him. We get to give of our lives to serve Him. 
That's a type of fellowship with him. We give thanks to him. By the way, we celebrate the Lord's Supper. It's called communion. It's us fellowshipping with each other for sure, but more importantly, with God. We get to fellowship with God in the Lord's Supper. And so we fellowship with God, and those are some ways we can do it. Well, we also need to fellowship with each other in order to walk in the light. How do we do that? Well, it's not much different than what I just said, except we do all of those things, prayer and the Bible, and all of those things we do together. We do those things together, and that's how we fellowship. The, the norm for our fellowship with one another should, should be that it surrounds Jesus himself and God's word. That should be the center of our fellowship with each other is that it's around Jesus and it's around his word. There might be other exceptions, but the norm for Christian fellowship is that it is in celebration of Christ and it's in celebration and surrounding his word. And so we need to do that together. We need to gather as Christians. And so how do we do that? Well, come to church. You're here. So well done. This is a part of what it means to walk in the light. You're hearing the word proclaimed. We were singing. We prayed together. We, we've served, right? Worship and praise. We're doing that together. So come to church. Come to prayer meetings. Get involved in a connect group. Get involved in a Bible study. Meet with Christians outside of any of those things. Spend time with them. We should be about fellowship. Because part of walking in the light is to fellowship with God and to fellowship with God's people. And secondly, as we move on to the next portion here, verses 5 through 7, we look at a different relationship that's going to help us understand this. What's the relationship between walking in the light and having fellowship with God? Verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. The Bible uses the imagery of light for God all the time, all over, Old Testament, New Testament, wherever you go, you're going to see that imagery. But what does he mean here when he says God is light? He's talking about God's character. He's talking about God's nature, the fact that God is holy He himself in his character is holy and there is no darkness there. And so God himself is light. There is no darkness. And if ever in our own study of God, we, we think we, we, we seem to detect some kind of darkness or something about God that's, that's, that's dark or, or, or wrong, then the the problem is not with God. The problem is with our, our understanding. Because God himself is light and there is no darkness in him. And so John continues here and he says in verse 6, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness. You see, I'll pause there for a second because what was going on was there were some false teachers that John was writing against. And part of what those false teachers were saying was that you can be rightly related to God You can have fellowship with God, and your life can be completely contrary to that. And that's not an issue. That had to do with their particular goofy theology, their own particular heresy that they were preaching. 
And so you can say that you have fellowship with God. You can be rightly related to God. And yet, on the other hand, your life belies that. Your life, the two have nothing to do with one another. That was the doctrine of the false teachers that he was addressing. And so how does John address that? He says in verse 6, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. That's a lie. These false teachers have, have brought the message that you can be in fellowship with God and it have no impact on your life. By the way, that's a very common message nowadays. That you can add God to your, to your list of accomplishments or something, credentials, and go on about your life. You cannot have fellowship with God and walk in darkness. Can't do it. It's a lie. He's going to address the same thing John is in in chapter 2. So uh, probably the chapters are small enough that it's on the same page. But look down at chapter 2 and read verses 3 through 6. He picks up the same idea. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. There is no disconnect. There can be no disconnect between having fellowship with God and, a, and then living a life that's unchanged. That can't be. A person can't have a right relationship with God and have a life that consistently is contrary to God's character. John calls that person a liar and says the truth is not in him. Look what he says in verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The person who truly has fellowship with God walks in the light as God himself is in the light. The person who has been justified by God will be sanctified by God. The person who has been made right before God by the act of God in justification will likewise be transformed, however slowly that might be, by God himself in their character and in their life. He sanctifies those he justifies. But someone who argues that you can carry on in fellowship with God and yet consistently walk in a contrary way to God's character is teaching a lie. And the truth is not in him. Look how he finished verse 7 there. We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Fellowship with God includes fellowship with one another. We have fellowship with one another. He introduces the idea of sin. He says, okay, you have the instruction, you have the commandment from God, you know that you're to walk in the light, and the true child of the light will indeed walk in light. His life will be changed. But what about sin? Well, we're going to get to sin in a moment. 
Because that's a major, major part of the Christian life is how we deal with sin. But first of all, he says, he points out, and I want to highlight again, we have fellowship with one another. Part of being a child of God is that we have fellowship with the the children of God. That we love one another. Sometimes it's a struggle. I understand that. But it's part of what it means to be a child of God is that we love other children of God. We have fellowship with one another. He has commanded us to love one another. He does so again and again. And here I think he gives the reason. He gives the heart for why we are to love one another. It's because we are God's children. We reflect Him. And He is love. We have been redeemed and we are to love one another. And so there's a point of application before we move on to the topic of sin, which is the final topic. Another part of what it means to walk in the light is simply to obey God. That's a part of walking in the light. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. It's simple. But in some circles, it's forgotten today. But it's a part of what it means to walk in the light. We are to obey him. We are his children. And so we do what he says. Did you hear the order I said that? I did not say we do what he says and so we are his children. We've been made his children. Justified, we who are in Christ. And so we obey him. We do what he says. And so that's a point of application that we need to have as a part of walking in the light. It's a, it should be obvious, and maybe it's painfully obvious to some, but maybe not to others. But it's a part of what it means to walk in the light. Is that we, we obey him. We do what he says. It's, it's not optional. It's not optional. It's a part of who we are. It's a part of him sanctifying us. It's a part of what it means to be in the light, is that we walk in the light by obeying God. But of course, we, we don't do that consistently. So what do we do with that? I said sin is a major part of the Christian life, and indeed it is. Look at what he says in verse 8. He's already mentioned the blood of Jesus, his son, cleansing us from all sin. So that's, we have been justified. We have been cleansed by his blood. Verse 8. But if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. To deny sin's presence is self-deception. So he, he's going to focus in these three verses on something that we don't like to talk about. Something that the natural man doesn't like to talk about and even the regenerate man often doesn't like to talk about. Christians indeed don't like to talk about their sin. And so he's going to point out, and he makes it very clear here, that to deny sin's presence in your life is self-deception. So Someone who isn't aware of their own wrongdoing isn't paying attention. All they have to do is ask their spouse. Or if the spouse doesn't answer well, just ask me. Okay, I'm happy to point out someone's sin (laughs) also sin is there sin is present every person has the witness of god within them declaring to them making clear to them every single person not just the christian has the witness of god within them making it clear 
that there is sin present. Listen to what Paul said from Romans chapter 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That means they knew it was true. They didn't want to see it, so they pushed it down. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. They're without excuse. So to to deny sin, to say that sin is not there, to say, I have no sin, is to deceive yourself. You're not looking at the facts. You're not looking at reality. You're believing your own press. Denial of sin is self-deception. I want to skip verse 9 because I want, to end, I want to land on that. I want to end on that. Go down to verse 10 for a second. To deny sin's exi- existence is not just self-deception, but it's to accuse God of deception. Look what he says in verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. We make him a liar. To say we have no sin, to say we have not sinned in our own life, is to accuse God of falsehood. It's to accuse God of being a liar. Well, very quickly, that's for two reasons. First of all, he sent his son into the world to be the savior of the world. There's an implication there. You need a savior world. That's the first one. But there's the second one. Even in the Old Testament, we have verses that are similar to Romans 3.23 that says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There are Old Testament Verses and certainly the teaching of the Old Testament is consistent with that, even if even if there's not as succinct a statement as Romans three twenty three, though I think these are pretty close. First Kings eight and Second Chronicles six, those are parallel passages. Solomon prays, and this is what he says There is no one who does not sin. Close enough to me, right? It sounds like Romans three twenty three, but also in Ecclesiastes, interestingly enough. Chapter 7, surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. It's a broad statement. You don't have to wait till Romans chapter 3 to find out that we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. By the way, that's the message, a huge part of the message of the Old Testament. That's the message of the law. To deny sin's existence is to accuse, to accuse God of deception. I want to land on verse 9. To walk in the light includes confession of sin. So right in the middle of having said, if we say we have no sin, verse 8, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And right before he says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. We have this this gem of verse 9. That is a key, a key part of what it means to walk in the light. If we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is a key part of what it means to walk in the light. And we cannot walk in the light without this aspect. The other aspects we've talked about today are there. But without confession of sin, without a right understanding of our sin and the evil of our sin, the guilt of our sin, without a right understanding of that, we we do not walk in the light. We're concealing one of the 
most obvious aspects of who we are if we don't understand our sin. And so he says here, if we confess our sins, instead of saying, yeah, I don't have any sin. Yeah, I've actually never sinned. It it doesn't, uh, you know, or maybe since I became a Christian, I've never sinned. Or that kind of attitude towards sin is against God. And it's a lie. And he says, if we confess our sins, a key part of walking in the light is to to own up to, to be aware of, not to hide our sin. And we don't parade all of our sins before all of our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's not the way that works. If, if I were to sin very publicly, I would declare that sin, I would confess that sin before you very publicly. But a private thing that happens on the side, if someone says something mean to me, and that's a sin... Or if I say something mean to that person and that's a sin, I don't come before you and say, you know, did you hear what so-and-so said to me? That was just, you don't do that. You don't parade your sins before everybody, but, but we own up to our sins. We own up to the fact that we are deep down sinners, fallen, in need of the righteousness of God, in need of forgiveness. Very often in the Christian life, I run in, I shouldn't say very often, it happens in Christian circles that you meet Christians who are not going to talk about their sin. They might even have trouble getting it out of their mouths that they are sinners. That's a problem. That's a problem. Because the person who doesn't even know of his own sin, the person who's not aware of his own sin and the guilt of it before God and the evil of that sin before God doesn't know to seek a Savior. And so the person who is a non-Christian, the person who is an unbeliever, who is unaware of their sin, unaware of the presence of sin, the, the guilt and the power and the condemnation, the fact that sin bars them from God's presence, That person will never seek a savior. The good news doesn't make any sense to that person. It's not good news. It's just more information to tell them that that Jesus died to pay the penalty for sin. And so part of coming to Christ, part of becoming a Christian is an awareness of sin, past and present sin and the guilt and the evil of it. But that's, that's for the unbeliever coming to Christ. That's for the unbeliever coming in. And of course, they've got to be aware. They've got to be under the conviction of sin or else the gospel makes no sense to them. But what about the Christian? What about awareness of sin for the Christian? Well, the Christian must continue to be aware of the ongoing presence and evil of sin in his own life. Sin is not something that we've already dealt with and there, therefore I don't have to think about it anymore. That's not the relationship the Christian has with sin. The Christian will grow in gratitude to Christ as he's aware of his sin, as he remains aware of his sin. He will grow in gratitude to Christ for the forgiveness and the right standing that he has before God because of of Christ and the fact that he perfectly defeats sin. And obeyed the Father in our place. And so, Christian, when you become aware of your own sin, when you read the Bible and it says, never do this thing, and you say, hi, do that thing all the time. 
Or when it says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you say, I've never done that. That's sin. And you confess your sin. You're forgiven. And you grow in gratitude to Christ for that forgiveness. You grow in gratitude to Christ for the fact that you have right standing before God because of what Jesus did. But secondly... The Christian must continue to be aware of the ongoing presence and evil of sin in his life, not just for gratitude's sake and to, to, to cause him to look again to the completion of what Christ has done, but secondly, the Christian must continue to mourn the ongoing presence and evil of sin so that he will continue to look to Jesus for the forgiveness of those sins. We need to be aware of the ongoing presence of evil in our hearts. The ongoing presence of of sin in the things that we do and say. And being aware of those things causes us to go to Christ again. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And thirdly, the Christian must continually realize the presence and evil of sin so that he will continue to look to the risen Jesus for help to overcome the power of sin. In your life. God has put His Holy Spirit within you. And one of the many things His Holy Spirit does is give life to your mortal bodies that you might have power over sin. That's something He gives you. Something He does. And if you were to conceal from yourself, if you were to avoid for yourself the topic of conversation of of sin itself, your own sin, if you were to ignore that, to lock it in a box and put it away and never think about it, You would not look to God for help to give you power over sin in your life. You would not look to God anymore for forgiveness of sin. And you would not rejoice in the fact that in Christ you have that forgiveness. In Christ He has paid that penalty and He has been obedient where you've been disobedient. If you lock up your sin, if you don't think about it, if you don't pray about it, if you don't ponder it, if you're not aware of it, if you, if you hide it from your eyes, that's, that's the cost you pay. And so a big part of what it means to walk in the light is to be open about our sin, to be aware of, to confess it, to confess it to God, to confess it to appropriate people, But even in our attitudes with one another, even if we're not going to talk about our particular sins with one another, our attitude should still be, I have sin, and it is great, and it is evil. And you have sin, and it is great, and it is evil. And we have forgiveness in Christ, and so we can fellowship together. And we can fellowship with God because of Christ. And so an enormous part of walking in the light is being aware of our sin and even making it known. God would have us, in conclusion, God would have us walk in the light of Jesus Christ. We can do that by keeping ourselves in regular fellowship with God and with His people. We can walk in the light by ensuring that we are living our lives, seeking to live our lives in obedience to God's commands in Scripture. And thirdly, we walk in the light as we are realistic, 
and honest about our ongoing sin condition. We should mourn our sins, confess them and repent of them, looking to Christ for their forgiveness. We should seek the risen Lord's power over sin in our lives and rejoice in the perfect obedience of Christ that has already been applied to our account. And we rejoice in what Christ has done. And we find that we, because of that, we get to have fellowship with God. We get to have fellowship with one another. We want to obey God's commands. And when we don't, that's called sin. And we own up to that, even before one another. So we want to walk in the light. We are supposed to walk in the light. And it's not just a command that has no background. We are children of the light. We've been redeemed by Him. And so we walk in the light because that is who we have become. And so this is something we get to do together. So my, my goal today was give some very practical steps, some, a very practical way to understand what could be a philosophical concept of what it means to walk in the light. It is practical. It involves us fellowshipping with one another. It involves us fellowshipping with God. It involves us being obedient to God. And it involves us being open and honest about our sin before one another and before God. And when we do that, people, we, we walk in the light. And He's glorified in us in, in amazing ways. And we benefit from it as we walk in the light. And that's my desire for us is that we would have those benefits, that we would see God at work even in our midst as we have been called to be put into the body of Christ together. So let's walk in the light together. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would take this this passage that it would stick with us this afternoon and this week that we would think about what it means that we are children of light and what it means to walk in the light. Father, I pray that that would be true of us. I pray that you would work in us, that, that we would rejoice to fellowship with one another, that we would bask in fellowship with you in prayer and in your word, and together and in serving you and in obeying you and coming to the Lord's Supper, that we, would, that we would bask in that fellowship with you. And Father, we do seek desire to obey you from the heart. You've given us a new heart and that new heart desires to obey you and yet, yet so often we fall short. And so we bring that sin to you. We confess it to you. And we rejoice that in Christ we find forgiveness. We find cleansing. And you actually increase our fellowship as we do that. Father, I thank you for this congregation. I thank you for Parkside. I pray that we would walk in the light as he is in the light. Pray for your blessing on us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.
May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. There will be a family up front to pray with you if you would like to pray with them. Otherwise, God bless you all. Walk in the light and you are dismissed.